Over the last 11 weeks, we've faced a lot of challenges, and as soon as we seem to resolve one, we face another one. And these can often produce a lot of anxiety, fear, worry. Sometimes it's almost paralyzing for us. But Jesus will intersect us with his gospel. He says, I have come that you might have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus speaks on a hillside over the Sea of Galilee many years ago to a large crowd of people who were struggling with anxiety. It's much like today. Circumstances may have been a little bit different, but down at the human level, it's the same. Anxiety, worry, fear, uncertainty about the future. And so in this Sermon on the Mount, he comes to this place where he addresses the anxiety that they're feeling. And he shows us a way out of that. And that's what we've been looking at over the last several weeks. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. And I'd like to just share a little bit of the outline of what we've been working through over the last several weeks so you can see the context of what we're talking about. First of all, the condition. The condition is Jesus looks out over the crowd. He not only sees their physical presence, he also knows exactly what's going on inside of them. And he knows they're stressed. He knows they're worried. He knows they're very anxious about a lot of things. And so he's able to speak to that. That is their condition. The second part is the command. In verse 25 of chapter 6, he says this. He says, do not worry about your life. That's a command, a very clear command. So he sees the condition. He gives this command. And it's different from just a friend or an observer saying this to you, because I think we would tend to think, well, who are you? How can you just say something to make it go away? But there are two qualities about Jesus that no one else has. He has awareness and he has ability. His awareness is he knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on all around you in everyone else's life. He knows the past. He knows the future. It's an amazing thing. He has complete and absolute awareness. Secondly, as he gives this command, he has ability. So he is able to come alongside you and help you through this. That's an amazing, amazing thought. Then he moves to this next section, and we've been talking about this over the last several weeks, and that is this, the causes of anxiety. Now, there may, may be many, many causes, and this is not just a, 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 a list that covers everything, maybe, but it, it covers most things. I, I would say the root of all these things. He covers the heart. In Matthew 6 and verses 19 to 21, he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on the earth. He says, here's what's going to cause your anxiety. When you get so attached to things, stuff, all around you, these things are passing away, they're fleeting, they can be stolen, they can rot. And when your attention and your affection and your heart is set on those things, you're always going to be stressed. Secondly, he talks about the eye. He moves from the heart to the eye. And when you can't see, you're in darkness, you're going to be stressed out. And he speaks about the eye because light could be all around you. In other words, the sun comes up, the lights are on, but you still can't see. And that's because your eye is bad. In other words, it can't receive light. And I, I liken this to 
the treasures receiving by faith, the light receiving by faith. These are things that God can himself provide for you, and he's really the only one to be able to provide for you. So first we have the heart being tied to earthly things. We have the eye being darkened, not to receive the light, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, be able to see. And so these are causes of anxiety. This morning, we're going to look at the third of these, and it has to do with the head. And so when you think about the head or the authority over your life, he's saying this, who's calling the shots? Who's guiding your life? Who's the governor of your existence? And this is what he says, Matthew 6 and verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or money, things. So think about this. He's, he's saying this. If you have a divided loyalty, a divided authority, if you're listening to people calling the shots, and you don't resolve in your own mind who you're going to follow, your life is going to be totally stressed out. Now, he's making a case for this, that you submit your life to the Lord and the master of all, and that's God. And this God has manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if, you, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so what he's calling people to do is to submit to the Heavenly Father, to declare him master, king, and ruler of all life. Now this ties, this very same verse here, ties into Matthew 6, 33. But let me, let me just explain a little bit about verse 24 when he says, no one can serve two masters You'll either hate one and love the other. It doesn't always mean that it's actual hatred toward something else, but one is loved less. In fact, if you remember Jesus saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to hate your father and your mother and follow me. What he means by that is that if you love Jesus and follow Jesus, Everything else must be less. It's not that, that I would have this intense hatred toward my parents, but that Jesus must be above all, and he must be acknowledged above all. So in Matthew 6 and verse 33, we get to this end of, end of this chapter, kind of ties this all together very neatly. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What things? Well, the treasures in the world, the life that we, we desire to have. He says, I'll meet that need. Darkness turned to light, he'll meet that need. Guidance and authority over my life, he'll meet that need. Next week, we'll get into the cure to uh, anxiety a little, in a little more detail. But let's, let's consider this. The kingdom of God is when the king reigns. And his kingdom is announced and it is offered. It is rejected by many. But it is when, when Jesus Christ takes his rightful place of authority, he is the one who desires to govern our, govern our life. You know, it's interesting when you think about if, if Jesus is master and Lord, what does that make me? If he says, I want to be for you your master, I want to be your Lord. 
then how, how would I describe myself? What would be the title that I get in this? And this is a little bit tough for us uh, to, to see ourselves in this light. It's interesting when you think about this that he's talking about you becoming a servant, a slave, a follower, and this is, a, this is tough to process. Just the other day, we had a conference call with the governor of the state of Colorado, and on that call were, I'm sure, hundreds of pastors, faith leaders in the state. And so they said, when you, when you come on to ask a question, uh, give your, your name and where you're from. And I, I didn't comment on this, but... And so these guys would introduce themselves with their title. And so I, I listened to this, Reverend, Most Reverend, Very Right Reverend, THD, DD, PhD, LLD. Actually, I was trying to think of what could I say that would really surprise them all. <laughs> but this is what is interesting. When God talks about his son, he talks about his servant. When God talks about Moses, he talks about his servant. When God talks about Joshua, he talks about his servant. Even the Apostle Paul, when he signs his letters, he, he signs them as a slave of God. To me, the, the greatest title you could ever uh, use in referring to yourself is a servant of God, a slave of God. And this is really what he's getting to because, and what he's saying is when you can see yourself in this light, he is master, Lord, King, has all authority over my life, and I am his servant. That will bring an incredible amount of peace because there is no one who cares about your goodwill and how you're doing more than God. And when you follow his steps and listen to his lead, then you're going to experience that very same thing. So this morning, the thesis is this, curing anxiety by becoming a servant of God, seeing yourself as a servant or as a slave of God. This cures anxiety. And this morning, if, if I were to use four words to describe what this looks like, here's what they are. The first of these is single-mindedness. For me to be a follower of Jesus, a servant of God, I must have a sense of single-mindedness. It is a call to an undivided loyalty, an exclusivity, so to speak. Now, why is this? And I think this really rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Is that How can you say that there's only one way? There's only one God, only one authority. Don't all roads lead to heaven? Don't all faiths accomplish the same thing? And I think that's a good question. But what is unique about the Christian faith? as opposed to all other belief systems in the world. There's several things, but first of all is that the leader of all of this, Jesus, lays down his life as an atonement for our sins. No other leader has done that. Secondly, this Jesus also was raised from the dead and conquers not only sin through his atonement, but through his resurrection conquers death. And third, that the way to heaven is a free gift offered by him to us. It is not something you earn or deserve. And that makes it different than all other religions. You've heard me say this many times. 
that all other religions are systems of doing, 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 and hoping that you're going to make it. And the system of Christianity, authentic biblical Christianity, is this word done. It is done. Jesus paid it all. He finished the work. And because it is all completed, he is able to offer to you the gift of eternal life. But when we talk about this, about having one Lord, in other words, one master, I do not have competition going on. I'm not listening to this voice and listening to this voice because that's going to stress me out. If God is seeking to direct my life through his authority over me and I'm listening to all the voices around me, it's going to create an incredible amount of anxiety. Now follow this through the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, it says, and this is the first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God says I'm exclusive. I'm one God and you worship me. In Isaiah 45 and verse 22, it says, look to me and be saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See how narrow this becomes? And then Acts 4 and verse 13, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now I think if, if you look at this in a skeptical way, you can say, that's really not fair. If there's only one way, he leaves so many other people out. But the truth is, the offer of eternal life, the offer of salvation is to everyone. He says, whosoever will, uh, will may come. In other words, the offer is open. So how much more fair could you be than to provide one way? It's not muddled. It's not conflicting. It's very clear. This one way is to accept Jesus as your Savior, but also to acknowledge him as Lord and Master and King of your life. You know, it's a, it's a very simple thing. It's a very simple thing. It's not easy, but it's a very simple thing because if you accept Jesus as the authority over your life, then it's one voice you listen to. You just get up in the morning and you follow his lead. As he communicates to you by his word and by his spirit and dictates your steps in your life and you follow that, you're going to walk in a way of peace and not a one of anxiety. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this stress, this tension when you have com competing voices for the authority over your life. In Romans 7, he, he talks about, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? In other words, he's got this constant conflict of, of, of listening to other voices. Someone wrote it this way. He says, Two natures beat within my breast. One I, one I love and one I hate. The one I serve will dominate. In Romans 6 and verse 16, it says, Do you not know that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant you are, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? So here's the challenge. <clears throat> Declare your loyalty to God. Declare your loyalty to Jesus as the authority in your life. I will follow you. And that's going to bring an incredible amount of joy and peace and drive out 
that anxiety. So a second word. The first word was single-mindedness. We must be single-minded. The second word is a word we all love, submission. <laughs> and I say that in jest because none of us like to be told what to do. But if we talk about the word submission or humility or brokenness, it is a key. It is an absolute key to finding joy and peace. If he is Lord and master, that makes me servant. The word doulos is, is in the Greek and it means one who comes under. We use the word bond servant. And, you know, as I was thinking back uh, to titles, you know, that, that is not a real attractive title. Kathy Waters had helped me do some research uh, on my ancestors. And so I was figuring, well, who's, who's in, in my past? And, and it was really interesting when I found out that probably 350 years ago, there was a man who was in England and was on the wrong side of the po political war with Oliver Cromwell and found himself imprisoned put on a boat and sold as a slave. Now, he was a very fair-skinned, red-haired man, and they say he stood seven feet tall. But he shipped off to the West Indies and then off to Virginia and Maryland, where he was a slave. And he had to work for a number of years to acquire his freedom, and then he bought land and settled in, and that's how some of my ancestors got to America, through slavery. Slavery is not something that is attractive to us an idea and especially in the united states to see how that has really been a scar um, upon our culture and upon our nation in the past but jesus uses this imagery when he's talking about this to help us to understand a principle of learning to submit in other words bend the knee bow the knee humble yourself recognize that not only is is god all-powerful, but he's also good, and he, he is the best one to direct the steps of your life, and you can trust him to be able to do that. Jesus said this to, to his disciples. He said, I, I am one among you who serves. So humility is necessary. You cannot really have peace and joy in the absence of anxiety unless there is a degree of humility in your life. Humility to receive what God has offered to you, humility to grow in grace, and humility for you to be able to minister to the needs of others. Pride and self-will, arrogance, will always bring us to destruction and along the way put us in the place of misery. I love the story in Genesis chapter 22 about the man named Jacob. You may remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the, he's the grandson of Abraham. And he is wanting to find a full life, a blessed life. He wants God's blessing. And isn't that true of all of us? When he was born, he was named Jacob. And the word means uh, heel snatcher. He, he was born uh, second, and he was holding on to the heel of his brother. And, but it also means a deceiver or a manipulator. And I think we can all picture ourselves this way. We are trying to find the good life. We are trying to find the blessed life. And we are clawing and we are striving and we are laboring and we are going to make it happen. And it's not happening. And that's the way a lot of people are. And so Jacob in midlife finds himself out in the desert and he's wrestling with an angel. 
And the angel is the Lord. We find this out as we read through the story. And, and he's saying to the Lord, bless me, bless me. And, and this wrestling match is a picture of him striving and laboring and working to get the blessing. He doesn't get it. And so the Lord touches his hip and puts it out of joint, which would be incredibly painful. And it cripples him. So how can he now overpower the Lord for a blessing? He can't. All he can do is cling. So the rest of his life, he carries a staff as a reminder of having to lean upon God. See, faith and trust and dependence is hard on our pride. But we will still try to seek to get it done, make it happen, work the plan, check off the boxes to get God's blessing. And the only way we get God's blessing is to recognize how we are to be humble and dependent and needy and trust in him with faith. So humility has got to be a mark of the Christian life. It is the mark of a true servant of the Lord. So submission is our second word. Our third word is sacrifice. We struggle with that one too, but it really means giving up something of value for something of greater value. I love the picture given in John 12 and verse 24. It talks about a corn of wheat. And it, and it says, you, know, you picture a, even a seed of corn. It says, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it's going to abide alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. So you take that little piece of corn and you keep it. And you'll always have one. You'll always have one. You put it into the ground and let it die. It will produce uh, manifold blessings and fruit. And this is really what he's saying. When we learn to die, when we learn to make that temporal sacrifice, God's blessing pours out. So you think about sacrificing temporal things, sacrificing earthly things, sacrificing things that are fleeting away to gain what God has planned for us in eternity. Corey Ten Boom, who was uh, with her family uh, confined to the concentration camp in Auschwitz during World War II, said this. She said, when I consider the cross of Christ, how can anything that I do be called sacrifice? It's a great thought. In Philippians 4.19, it says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So when we think about sacrifice, giving things up or, or letting things go that are temporal and fleeting and tying my heart to that which is eternal, that is the life of a servant. In Romans 8 and verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So that's our third word, sacrifice. Our fourth and final word is in the life of a servant is service, which is pretty natural. If I am to be a servant of God, a slave of God, a servant of Jesus Christ, my life will be marked by service. Serving God and serving one another. And this is exactly the way Jesus lived. You know, it's interesting how when you read in John 13, uh, John 13 kind of is the setting right before he's being crucified, but he's meeting in an upper room with his disciples and he's having his last supper. 
during the Passover time, and he does something very strange. He, he gets up from the table, and he goes over to a wash basin and gets a towel, and he begins washing their feet. Now, this is a little bit strange for us because we don't have that custom, but in that day, uh, you'd bathe maybe once a day. You'd bathe in the evening or morning, but uh, you'd be clean, but as you walked through the dusty town, your feet would uh, get dirty. And so when you came to someone's home as their guest, the lowest servant of the house would wash your feet, the lowest. And so Jesus showed them something. He took himself, who is, he is Lord and Master, he, he places himself as the lowest servant. And this is what he says. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Isn't that amazing? He said, if I am your Lord and your master and your king and your authority, and, and I have washed your feet, I've taken the role of the lowest of the lowly servants or slaves, and I've washed your feet. You ought to wash the feet of one another. So he sets in, in mind for all of us that, that the... The way of living our lives is as a servant, not lording over other people. We serve God, we serve one another. And this is what he says at the very end of this section. He says, if you know these things that I've just taught you, I've given you an example, I've demonstrated this in a very visible illustration, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. In other words, your life will be happier, your life will be full, your life will be fulfilled. You will have joy and peace and contentment if you live this way as a servant, serving God and serving one another. This is how we should define ourselves. And, and you think, you know, this is, this is really going to restrict me having, having Jesus as my master, as my Lord. I don't mind really having him as my savior, but but to be the Lord of my life, I would rather do what I want to do. If you live that way, do what you want to do, be your own boss, listen to the horizontal voices around the world, it's going to lead to anxiety. And this is the very point of this message. But when you submit to him, when you humble yourself to him and you follow him, he will lead you in a path of joy and peace and fulfillment. It's an amazing, amazing thought. There's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament found in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And it talks about slaves. This is a custom that the, the Hebrew people had. If a slave, after six years of service, 
Typically what would happen if, if you became a slave because of debt or some, some other reason, uh, you came into someone's home, you were their slave. And after six years, you could be set free. And you could own your own, own your own freedom and you could go on your way. But it says, if you decide, you know what? My master has been so good to me. I love this life. I'd like to continue this way. Now that seems, seems a bit strange, but if you have the perfect master, if you have like this is speaking as the heavenly father, I'd love to stay here. I'd love to be a servant of him for my whole life. This is what you do. It says in verse 12, it says, if your fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman is sold to you and serves you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You are to give him whatever the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I'm giving you this command today. But if your slave says to you, I don't want to leave you, because he loves you and your family, and is well off with you, taken all and pierced through his ear into the door, and he will become your slave for life. So here's what they would do. The guy would say, you know what, I don't wanna leave. I, I, I want my family here, I wanna be here, I want, I want you to be my master, I want to be your slave for life. This is really what, what Jesus is asking of us. So they say, you take an all, which is like a screwdriver with a very pointy tip to it, go to the door and drive that all through the air. I laugh when I think about those uh, people that say, well, you can, men should not have pierced ears. <laughs> but you drive it through there and then they, they'll put an earring in there. And, and this is a visible, painful communication to everyone out there the decision you've made. It's a deliberate decision and you are marked for life. This is really a picture of us being a slave, a follower, a servant of God. And it is, it is probably the highest, uh, most elevated title you could have. Think about this. Go back to Moses. How does God refer to him? The highest title is not Reverend, Doctor, Most High. It is my servant, Moses, my servant, Joshua, my servant, Paul, my servant, Jesus. And so it is an identifier of our lives, and there is no greater life. There is no life that is more free from anxiety and stress because the one who has authority over you, calling the shots, leading your life, has your best interest in mind. He knows everything that's going on and he will fulfill that purpose. When we take control or we surrender that control to, to others, we will, we will start down that path of misery, of worry and fear. So here is what I would say our takeaway for, for this morning. If you look around you for leadership, you look around, you're gonna be stressed. If you look up, you'll be at peace. Your heavenly father. Notice how we always come back to that? Your heavenly father. Look around, 
you're always going to be full of anxiety. Look up to your Heavenly Father as your authority, your Lord, your Master, your King, and you will be at peace. That is why Jesus came for you. So as you look, there are two things that I, that I think about. Accept him as your Savior. I think most of us know that, that, that God wants you to accept his Son as your Savior. To save you, to save your soul, to give you a home in heaven. But secondly, he wants you to crown him as king. He wants you to crown him as king. So it's one thing to say, well, I've received Jesus as my Savior on, on, on my way to heaven, but what the Lord wants to give you the blessed, full life that is free from anxiety, worry, and fear is for you to crown him as Lord and Master and King. Well, to me, a great text. Next week, we'll finish up with a cure, the last part of chapter 6, which I think is just amazing. I want to just say thank you for, before we get into our worship, as uh, Paul will conclude our service today, to thank you for your faithfulness and giving, and also reaching out to others. We're going to try to make June the month that we all reach out in creative ways to one another and to encourage them, uh, since we're not able to, to be together. I'd like to read this as our uh, concluding prayer of benediction. It's from Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.